You are listening to the Optimal Performance Podcast, sponsored by Natural Stacks. This is the show everybody who's into performance and biohacking should listen to. If you want to know more about Optimal Performance, check out OptimalPerformance.com. You were looking for a way to change your life. You got it. I kind of think in some ways, selfishly, that it should remain a secret because it is such an advantage that I kind of want to keep to myself. Natural Stacks. Natural Stacks. Shout out to the guys over at Natural Stacks. Start optimizing your mental and physical performance. Optimize yourself. All right. Happy Thursday, all you optimal performers, and welcome to another episode of the Optimal Performance Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Muncy, and today I've got our guest and co-host, Dr. Alexis Shields with me. Alexis is joining us all the way from Lisbon. So thanks for hanging out with us, Alexis. Say hi to everybody. Hi, thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, it's our pleasure. So for all of our listeners, Dr. Alexis is a naturopathic doctor. Um, we will get back to exactly what that means in just a minute. Um, in this episode today, we're going to talk a lot about functional medicine, thyroid function, thyroid testing, um, and all kinds of performance hacks that we can do through food, medicine, um, everything like that. So um, sit back. You guys are going to enjoy this one. Uh, before we do that, we want to read some of our five-star reviews from iTunes, and I'm going to share with you guys a really cool review that we got on Siltep. All right, so JYY on iTunes says, this podcast is great to listen to while running on a long drive or even when I'm cooking. Very informative. I love it. Waiting eagerly for new ones to get released. So thank you, JYY. Uh, Nate G325 says, great host and amazing guests. I'm always striving to improve my mental and physical performance. This podcast has become my go-to resource. Highly recommended. And let's go one more. iRiver088, loved it and recommend it to anyone and everyone. So thank you guys for leaving us the feedback on iTunes. All right, so now the review on Siltep. So this is from a virtual coaching client that I work with, a guy who runs two different businesses and has started using Siltep to replace his ADD medication. Vince says, after one week of taking Siltep, I noticed a dramatic improvement in my focus and had an ultra-productive week. Now, our fun fact of the day. Over 20 million Americans are affected by thyroid disorders, and about 13 million of those are actually undiagnosed. And as our fact of the day, that is going to relate back to some of the things that we talk about with Dr. Alexis today. We're going to go right into that. Always remember with any episode, you can go to optimalperformance.com and get the video version as well as show notes, links to all the resources and cool stuff that we talk about on each episode. So let's get down to it. Dr. Alexis, what exactly is a naturopathic doctor? Tell us what you do. <laughs> yeah, so in the, in the U.S., naturopathic doctors are trained as primary care physicians. So we're family doctors. Uh, we prescribe medications, we order lab work, we can perform minor surgery. Uh, but the difference is that we also specialize in functional or alternative medicine. So we aren't going through hospital rounds and specializing in things, you know, we're not doing advanced surgeries and specializing as, you know, a cardiologist or, or a rheumatologist or something like this, where we spe specialize specifically in primary care medicine 
using functional alternative medicine as well. Okay, very cool. And and with that, you have a, is it a specialty in thyroid or is that just something that you're passionate about? Yeah, it's just one, you know, like you said, there are so many people walking around with, with a thyroid disorder that don't know it. And as a primary care doctor, what our job is to kind of identify you know, how is the person's overall health and how are all their organs functioning? How are all their glands functioning? Um, and to kind of look at the person, you know, the whole picture of the person to see how everything is interrelated. And um, thyroid is so huge because it's it, it's one of the, you know, it's a gland that basically controls our metabolic rate and it controls development and growth. And so, you know, with that, it's especially for, for anybody concerned with optimal performance and health and exercise recovery and, and optimal brain function. If you don't have a functioning thyroid, then you're going to be in, you know, lots of trouble. So it's, it's one of those basic functions that with every single patient that I see, I'm always concerned with making sure that it's optimal. Well, you answered my, my next question was exactly going to be, you know, how, do, how does this relate to optimal performance? So, um, well done. So, yeah, and, and I mean, with, with thyroid, even a slight imbalance is going to cause significant impacts on our health and, and well-being, right? Yeah. And when we can actually get more into this, you know, when we're talking about kind of how the thyroid works and, go, you know, getting into the mechanism, but... Um, I mean, you can have an, you can essentially have a very normal looking thyroid test and still have a thyroid disorder, thyroid dysfunction. And so we'll kind of talk about how to identify if you're one of those people. But I see so many people that come to me and they're like, I have all these symptoms and they pretty much are the exact, you know, what you would read in the book about somebody that has thyroid disorder, but then their labs come back absolutely normal. This is so common. And it's part in part because we're, we're testing, we're not testing, um, completely enough. And so we're just doing the bare minimum of testing because that testing has been developed to decide if someone needs to go on medication or not. But the problem is, is there's a lots of, there's, you know, a big gray area before you need medication where you probably need some help and your gland could use some, you know, different foods and different nutrients and things to optimize the function. So, so you can be walking around with these symptoms and not know it. You know, it sounds a lot like something that we talked about in episode two, where we had uh, John Romanello on as a guest, and he talked a lot about testosterone and with, with the normal range being so wide, you know, you can get, I think he said at one point he was around eight or 900, his levels dropped to a third of that at 300, he was still in the normal range. So he couldn't mm -hmm. really get um, the medical help that he needed. He had to go find ways on his own to get his testosterone back up. So, um, you know, it sounds like thyroid is, is going to have very similar um, symptoms and, and ways that we can fix it on our own. Right, and it really anything, I mean, the bottom line is anything that we're testing in the blood, there's usually an optimal range for that. And part of that is because the way that we get reference ranges for labs is it's um, taken from a sample population that has gone to that specific lab, and then they get a range based on a bell curve. And usually people going to the lab to get lab work done are sick. And so it's not necessarily representative of the healthiest population. So um, the other thing is that when we're kind of determining, you know, if, if someone's within a lab range or not, is it's all based on disease. So it's all, do you need a medication? Do you not? Are you going to be diagnosed with this di disease or are you not? And now that we're living longer, we're concerned with longevity, 
those kinds of ways of looking at lab tests are kind of outdated because we really want to increase, you know, have a good function or good have good quality of life, good fu- function. So right. it's, you know, we have to look at it differently now. Yeah. So, I mean, it's almost like for our purpose, it's, it's two questions, you know, do, are you, are you dysfunctional? Do you need medical help to get it back to normal? And then, you know, the, the second part of that normal is not the same thing as optimal. It's not the same exactly. thing as thriving. So, so tell us a little bit, you know, who is at risk and, and you know, what's, what's causing this prevalence of thyroid issues? So what's causing it, as far as research goes, we, research goes, we don't really know. Um, there's been lots of correlations to, you know, so many things, but not a lot of causations yet. So I think that there's, you know, there's a lot to do with genetics, um, just kind of our family history. There's a huge increase in autoimmune diseases and for hypothyroidism, which is the majority of what thyroid disease, most of the people that have thyroid disease, the majority is hypothyroidism. Um, and the, the majority of those people with hypothyroidism or too low thyroid function have an autoimmune disease called Hashimoto. So, um, autoimmune disease is, is definitely, I think because those rates are increasing, it's also increasing the rates of all autoimmune diseases, including Hashimoto's smoking increases your risk. Aging increases your risk. Um, if just, uh, women, women are at much higher risk than men. In fact, I think the stat, the current stat is one in eight women in their lifetime will have some kind of thyroid dysfunction or thyroid disorder. That's huge. Yeah, that's huge. You're right. Yeah. So certain drugs can cause um, just uh, increased incidence of thyroid disorder, radiation. There's so many things, but you know, as far as clear and cut, we don't know exactly. Especially with autoimmune disease, it's very all the research is very murky. We don't quite know yet. Okay, so I, I know thyroid is this, you know we've we've kind of established the importance, but you know let's let's geek out a little bit on the anatomy and the physiology for us a little bit. So everybody has at least a, a working knowledge of, of what's going on for the rest of this. Yeah. So, so basically what we kind of mentioned before is that your thyroid, it regulates your body's metabolism. And so it really, you know, it regulates the rate at which you produce energy from the food that you're eating, from the oxygen that you're breathing. So it's co- sort of, I kind of say that it's like the thermostat of your body that you can turn or up or down metabolic rate. So it's really important for performance because of that. I mean, it's your whole metabolism is kind of, you know, the control is contained within this gland. So um, as far as the anatomy goes, it's the placement of it is it's a butterfly-shaped gland, and it's between your collarbone and your and your chin. So if you find your your Adam's apple. Um, if you swallow, you can kind of find it easier for a man. You can find it easier than a woman. And then you go down below the, the Adam's apple and it's a butterfly shaped gland on either side of your neck here. And it secretes the, the hormones that every cell in your body pretty much will respond to. And so influence, thyroid hormone influences the expression of genes in practically every cell. So it's very wide reaching. And as far as the 
how it works. It's, it's a whole cascade of hormones. And so it can get kind of complex and there's lots of minerals involved. Um, but the basics is that a, a gland, the hypothalamus, a pea-sized gland in your brain will secrete a hormone when you need thyroid hormone basically for your body. So it secretes a hormone um, to another area in your brain called your pituitary, which secretes another hormone um, that creates basically the, the um, thyroid stimulating hormone or TSH, which is what in conventional medicine is what we test. And so this is kind of like, you know, if you go to the doctor and you're like, I think I have a thyroid problem, or you're explaining your symptoms and they think maybe you have a thyroid problem, what they would test is called TSH. And this is um, what your pituitary is secreting to tell your thyroid what to do. So that's kind of the first testing point. And then your thyroid itself produces T4 and T3. Um, mostly it produces T4, and then that's sent out to the body on different carrier proteins that floats around the blood in your body to basically all the cells that is that need it. And then T4 is also converted to T3 um, in the body, in different areas of the body. 20% of it is converted um, in your gut, and there's various other organs that that happens. So basically you have this whole cascade, and it's pretty much on a feedback loop. And so when T4 is converted to T3, and T3 is kind of that most biologically active hormone circulating around, it will then make its way back up to the brain to tell the brain, okay, do I need to secrete more of those hormones to tell the thyroid to keep working, or I need to scale it back? So that's kind of the how that whole cascade happens. Okay, cool. So now, now that we kind of have an understanding of that, you mentioned earlier that some of the ways that we test may not be the best ways to find out if people have issues. And then in you, as you walk us through that process, you say TSH is what is normally tested. How is that a flawed testing method? So it's not flawed if you think about why we're testing it. The reason why they're testing TSH only is because the reason for testing it is to decide, does this person need to go on, for, for hypothyroidism anyway, does this person need to go on thyroid replacement hormone um, or do they not? And so when you're, when you're just asking that one basic question, then TSH a lot of times will be sufficient enough. A lot of docs now are, are adding in um, a free T4. So they're adding in another one of the steps of the hormone that the thyroid actually produces in its free form. So the free form is unbound from protein and able to you know, do work basically in the right. body. So a lot of doctors will do that now. Um, although some still don't. And so it's kind of, you know, if you're only asking the question, does this person need medication, then it makes sense. And in conventional medicine, oftentimes that's all the time that they have is to ask that one question. But if you're going to someone who's focused more on functional medicine, um, then we're going to ask another question, which is why is this happening in the first place? And can we change some of those things that are maybe contributing to the problem? Whether that's, you know, is this autoimmune disease, for example? So another thing that you might want to have tested is your thyroid antibodies. And most of what I'm talking about kind of relates to hypothyroidism because that's the most common. Um, and there's two antibodies basically that you would test to really rule in or out if someone um, has an autoimmune disease to their thyroid for the most part. Um, and then there's other things like you can test the free T3 as well. Cause like I said, that's the most biologically active hormone. Um, you can test those levels so you can see how well do you convert from T4 to T3. 
Um, you can test other things called reverse T3, which increases when your body is under a lot of stress because what your body does is, okay, I'm under stress. I need to downregulate things a little bit. So it'll attach to thyroid hormone to kind of slow you down. So there's all these other, you know, biomarkers that are super important. And from my perspective, you know, a lot of this research on longevity and optimal health is just, you know, it's in its newer stages as far as research goes. We're not really sure how to study it, number one, because it doesn't really work the same way as studying drugs and studying disease in the, in the conventional model. So we don't really know how to study it. And then when we do study it, we're not really sure what to do with the results because oftentimes they're, they're conflicting. So um, a lot of this, of using testing in this way is kind of, you know, it's pioneered by people who are doing functional medicine and who are seeing lots of patients that have these issues and then trying to pull the patterns basically out of their lab work. And there's some research that does a really good job of kind of, you know, healthy people. What do their lab ranges look like? And there is some of that out there. Okay. So if we had somebody who was, you know, maybe not in medical need of a replacement, but how, how would the average person, the optimal performer present if they came to see you, um, but were actually suffering from either not converting well or maybe suffering from some autoimmune disease? Mm -hmm. Sure. So maybe we can put it into a context of like somebody that would come into your gym, for example, because a lot of these people are looking to, you know, uh, either lose weight or really help boost up their metabolism or gain, you know, lean muscle mass and these kind of things. And so if you, so a common person that would come into either my office or um, maybe a gym is somebody that kind of complains of having a lower metabolism in general. And so people with hypothyroidism tend to just feel like no matter what they do, they can't lose weight. It doesn't matter if they change their diet. It doesn't matter how much they exercise. It's just a lot slower. And a lot of their efforts, they get discouraged because nothing's happening. Um, a lot of these people also have really poor exercise recovery. And because hypothyroidism is so prevalent in women, oftentimes it's missed in men because people aren't really looking for it. Um, and a lot of men will find that they, you know, they go to the gym and they have a tough workout and they just get wrecked and they can't really recover. Um, their muscle recovery is worse. They just feel completely laid out and fatigued. So that's another common thing. Um, that's, Low motivation and depression. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. I was going to say that that's probably just a really big one for, you know, a lot of our listeners. Totally, totally. And it's, you know, it, if you have that, it doesn't mean that you necessarily have a thyroid issue, but right. it means that you should really assess your thyroid fully and see if that could be a part of it because it's, you know, it's very common. Mm -hmm. Um, Low motivation and, and depression are also big ones. I think a lot of people have this low-lying depression that they just don't really realize is a problem until it changes. And so it's kind of a, you know, something that they just deal with and feel like it's just normal or it's just them to have this lack of energy or motivation or, or just low mood. Um, but that can also be thyroid. Um, lean muscle mass, just not able to, you know, maintain lean muscle mass and more injuries too. people that are very injury prone and have lots of body pain that tends to be kind of a hypothyroid thing. So those are some of the, the less traditional ways of looking at, at hypothyroidism, because usually what you think in, in medicine anyway, what the way that we were taught is it's people that um, have, you know, really hard time with, with losing weight, constipation, hair loss, dry skin, uh, low heart rate, sometimes menstrual irregularities in women, 
Um, you can get swelling, especially in your legs, cold hands and cold feet. So those are some of the traditional things. And then the others are more like optimal performance based. Okay. So are there ways that you're using blood testing to look at those things as opposed to just TSH or? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So the way that I do it is, um, the tests are pretty much the same at this point. I just do more of them. So where, if you would go to the conventional doctor and they would screen you for thyroid illness, usually they'll do TSH. If you're lucky, they might add in free T4. What I do is a test that is, is 10 different tests. So it includes that TSH. It includes the free T4. It includes free T3, also total T4 and T3, the thyroid antibodies, which there are two, um, and then reverse T3 and a, a couple others, T3 uptake and free thyroxine index. So um, when we're done with this, I'll give you, I have a kind of a printout that has all of those listed so that somebody, if they wanted to get them tested, they could bring those to their doctor or their lab or whatever, and they'll have a, a list of them right there. Yeah, and what we'll do for everybody listening, we'll get that, um, if you have it like as a PDF, we'll have it on the show notes mm -hmm. so people can download it, they can take it to their doctor. Um, now, now I know we talked before we came on air that you have sold your practice. So congratulations. Mm -hmm. And you're Thank working you. mostly virtually. So yeah. are people sending you um, the results? I can't imagine that they're sending, you know, blood through the mail to you in foreign yeah, countries. So <laughs> it's basically all um, email based. And actually they do. So usually what, what someone will do is... Um, when they schedule an appointment is either they have blood work that they've had done from their, from their doctor already. And so they'll send that to me and I get it analyzed. Um, and one of the biggest things about analyzing, which I didn't mention when you're we talking about the thyroid test is the, the opt the reference ranges that I'm looking at are much narrower. And so, um, you know, that's a huge part of identifying some of these functional thyroid issues that might not be diagnosed or would go kind of hidden mm -hmm. is, making sure that you're actually in the optimal range. Cause if you're not, you can have all the same symptoms. Right. Um, but back to lab testing. So the other thing is that I work virtually, but I have a, um, uh, connection with the wholesale lab in the States. And so a lot of my patients do come from the States. And so what we do is we can order lab packages basically that are really affordable, um, to a nationwide lab called LabCorp. And then those results, I order them from my computer, they get sent to my computer, and then I email them to the patient and put it into a Google Doc that analyzes everything with the optimal ranges. So, um, so yeah, essentially I am doing, you know, looking at blood work, I can do it from, from anywhere. And the great thing with that is that there's a lot of people that are either traveling or they're international that don't have access to maybe functional medicine and it gives them a way to, you know, talk with somebody and keep an eye on some of these things without having to be in the States in a major city that has more functional medicine doctors. Right. Yeah, that's really cool. So yeah. as far as treatment goes, I realize that everybody's going to be individual and there's no blanket uh, recovery process that you could mm -hmm. explain to us. But you know, give us uh, some typical treatment options, whether it's drug-based or, or natural-based. Um, mm -hmm. Are there supplements that people can use or take that will help, you know, recover? Sure. So um, as far as thyroid, the medications go, they tend to be, um, you know, when I was in my practice, I'm not prescribing medicines with virtual medicine anymore, but with, with um, any kind of, of drug treatment, the thyroid drugs 
seem to be, they cause less side effects when they're used appropriately, when you're following someone's labs and you're making sure that they're not getting too high or too low. Um, so as far as thyroid medications go, sometimes they can be extremely useful and necessary in a person's case. So it's not that I'm advocating not using thyroid medication because it's very useful. Um, and some people just can't go without it. So there's really good medications. The main ones are um, providing T4. So T4 is that hormone that your thyroid makes that then can convert into T3, the, the most biologically active. So most of the, the drugs like Synthroid, Levothyroid, Levoxyl, these are all um, T4 medications. And then there's a medication called Armor that is taken from usually a pig gland that combines both T3 and T4. And really, you know, a lot of doctors have a preference whether they like to use one over the other. And I find that it's just super individual. Some people do great when they're on armor and some people do terrible. And some people do great on levothyroxine um, or some of the medications like Synthroid and some people do terrible. So you just really have to experiment with it. Do your labs frequently every four to six weeks and really find that sweet spot where you feel good and your labs look good. Um, but beyond drugs, there's tons you can do, especially if you're one of these people that kind of is in that gray area where you're still having all the symptoms, your thyroid maybe is not optimal, the function in the blood work is not optimal, but you're not really somebody that's a candidate for drugs. There's still a ton you can do, and sometimes you can kind of catch this progression going towards the need for drug treatment and turn it around. Um, or I've seen a lot of people able to heal their thyroid so that it doesn't continue to progress. You know, if it was going to, we wouldn't know, but... I think that definitely catching something like that early is really good, especially if it's autoimmune related. So um, treating the cause, obviously, like you mentioned, is, is the way to go. But one first thing that I look at is, does the person have enough minerals in their diet? So are they eating um, food that's rich in minerals, which is usually vegetables? And because the soil that we is growing our food is often depleted in minerals, you want to make sure you're eating enough and you want to make sure that you're eating you know, vegetables that aren't depleted of minerals in the soil. Um, oftentimes, um, these minerals would include things like iodine, selenium, zinc, and magnesium. Those are kind of the big thyroid, um, big thyroid minerals that you can get, obviously, in food. You just need to make sure that you're eating those foods and that you're digesting them and breaking them down. So that's a big thing. A lot of people just aren't getting enough, and kind of that optimal amount mm -hmm. um, is between six and eight cups of vegetables and fruits a day, which is a ton, That's a lot. much more than most people actually consume. Right. Um, and it's consuming things that are like leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, and then all the colorful ones. And so oftentimes people aren't getting any more than a cup or two a day. So if you're somebody that has a thyroid disorder and you want to heal your thyroid, um, if you want to improve the function overall, maybe reduce the amount of thyroid medication you need, you might just need minerals and to eat more vegetables. Um, you can also so. supplement with uh, MagTech from Natural Stacks. Exactly, yeah. Finding a good quality magnesium like MagTech, um, you know, I mean, all of these can be in supplement form, but I think the first thing you really want to do is eat the food. Right. And then usually in the beginning stages, supplements are, are really necessary. A lot of people think, oh, I'll just eat it in my diet. But the problem is, is that a lot of people either their, their requirement for that mineral is really high or it's just going to take a really long time to fix. And so taking the supplement makes so much sense. Yeah. And I started looking at iodine, um, you know, as a mineral missing from things that I was eating. Um, mm -hmm. The easiest way I found to, to jack that up really, really high was to go to a co-op or a natural food store and get 
kelp flakes from yes. the uh, like the spice aisle is normally where I find it. And yep. I mean, I think a quarter of a teaspoon has well over a thousand percent of your daily value. So that's an easy, easy way to, you know, get make sure you're getting enough of that essential mineral. Such a good idea. And that's exactly what I tell people to do. And even, you know, sea vegetables is one of the main ways that you get iodine and who goes around eating tons of sea vegetables <laughs> these days? Nobody. So, yeah. um, yeah, doing kelp and a way that you can kind of disguise it too, if you're really sensitive to, to kind of, um, you know, fishy or sea flavored things is to grind it up in a blender, like a powder, mm -hmm. and then mix it in with your sea salt. And then you'll get some additional, even though the sea salt should also have a little bit of iodine, but you'll get some additional iodine every time you salt your food. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, and really iodine deficiency now, it's more of a functional thing because we're not really, you know, in the fifties when we we're super concerned with people, um, that were deficient in iodine, they were getting goiters. So their thyroid gland would, would grow to essentially have greater function because it didn't have enough iodine to really convert from T4 to T3. So, um, that, that's not really a huge problem anymore in, you know, developed nations. So I think that doing a little kelp here and there to make sure that you're getting your iodine, iodized salt obviously has lots of iodine in a different form. It's better to get from, from kelp and sea salt. Yeah. So back up just a second, you said something in there, um, you know, as far as the minerals go, iodine is crucial because this, and this is what you just said, that it assists in the conversion of T4 to T3. Yeah, yeah, there's a deiodinase enzyme that basically does this whole conversion, and that needs iodine attached to it. And so if you don't have enough iodine, then you can't cleave those bonds, and you won't get that, that conversion. Right. Okay, so that's how that's the answer to the question, what does iodine have to do with making my thyroid work better? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right. Okay. All right, awesome. So any other, um, like, so we talked about minerals. What other um, foods or, or natural type? supplements sure. uh, treatments so, yeah so if you are um if you have Hashimoto's so if you have an autoimmune disease the treatment then is totally different so in conventional medicine when you go in and you get a diagnosis it's pretty much do you need thyroid replacement or not and sometimes they'll test your antibodies to see if you have these antibodies to your thyroid to appropriately diagnose it as Hashimoto's, but sometimes they don't test the antibodies I'm finding. Um, so someone will have this thyroid disorder and they would have never been screened for an autoimmune disease, which is really important to know because an autoimmune disease to the thyroid is not a thyroid function problem. It's an immune system problem, which is totally different. And from a functional medicine perspective, you would treat it very differently, not in conventional medicine. You would treat it the same with thyroid replacement. Um, but if you can think of kind of thyroid replacement in someone that has autoimmune disease is just kind of a Band-Aid because you're replacing the, the hormone, but you're not really dealing with the fact that your immune system is malfunctioning. So right. autoimmune disease is, you know, that is crucial to determine if you have that, um, if you have, you know, if that is an issue for you. And I would say now more than ever, sometimes they're not able to detect the antibodies in people, but they think that Hashimoto's is about is about 90 to 97% of all hypothyroidism. So you can pretty much count that you have an issue with your, with your immune system, basically. So you want to do things that are healing to your immune system. Um, and 
these are things like glutathione and resveratrol and fish oil. Um, the natural stacks product that I've been experimenting with a lot and myself and also patients and I'm starting to introduce to patients is um, the prebiotic plus with the resistant starch. And the reason why is because there's a huge connection between gut health and your thyroid health. And resistant starch is really amazing at helping to lower inflammation and dealing with maybe an underlying cause to autoimmune disease, which is um, gut permeability and having what they call a leaky gut. So, you know, uh, your your immune system, 70% of your immune system and your immune tissue is in your gut. And so if you think that you have an immune system problem, you probably better look to your gut and see if, if there's any problems. And those problems could be caused by stress. They could be, could be caused by foods that you're eating that are inflammatory that your body doesn't like. Um, so essentially, you should have this you know, hollow tube that doesn't have these huge holes in it and isn't letting big proteins pass through to the blood undi or, um, undigested. And that's what happens when you have leaky gut is your, your gut, instead of this nice, strong, hollow tube, becomes kind of like a sieve and it lets things through. And then your immune system starts attacking proteins that maybe it shouldn't. And that's when the malfunction happens. And autoimmune disease just means that your body is attacking tissue of your own, thinking that it's a foreign invader or a foreign tissue. Um, so that's what kind of creates this cascade of, of problems where it's attacking your own gland. So dealing with autoimmune disease, another huge component, and there's so much to it, but um, leaky gut and having a good resistant starch in your diet is a really, really important piece to that. Uh, adrenal dysfunction can be a really big, big thing because the adrenals and the thyroid both kind of talk to each other. All the glands and the hormones communicate to each other. And so if you have a problem with your thyroid, you might also have a problem with your adrenals or vice versa. So um, functional adrenal dysfunction anyway is what, or insufficiency basically is, insufficiency is really rare. Um, and it's a really serious health problem. You have major problems, but I'm talking more from a functional perspective of how well does your body deal with um, the stressors coming in and how well is it able to adapt to stress. Gotcha. All right. So there's a lot of information in there. Um, <laughs> let's, I, I want to highlight one thing that, that you said about um, basically we don't want to slap a Band-Aid on the symptoms. We want to find the root cause and we want to attack that. Um, so for everybody listening, just kind of keep that in mind. Um, Real fast, we've mentioned Hashimoto's a few times. Um, just in case people listening aren't familiar with that, can you give us just the definition or, or you know, a, a kind of a, an, a, you know, an overview of what that is? Sure. Hashimoto's thyroiditis is a is a diagnosis that you would get if you have hypothyroidism, so too low of thyroid function, but it's coming from an autoimmune disease. So it's coming from your immune system attacking your own thyroid gland, which eventually makes that gland unable to produce hormone. So in the, the way that that's different from hypothyroidism is that it's not actually a dysfunction with the thyroid itself. It's exactly. caused by as you exactly. said, the either leaky gut or some other, you know, deficiency in your immune system. Exactly. All right, cool. Um, so, you know, now let's go back to um, digestion, leaky gut. Um, it is, you know, exactly what you described it as. Um, mm -hmm. You know, it's exactly what the name implies. So, yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I, I, I actually find myself talking about that to a lot of people when we're talking about, um, you know, brown 
brown rice versus white rice, um, the skin on sweet potatoes, um, those are things that actually lead to leaky gut syndrome that, that a lot of people don't realize. They think that they're eating brown rice and it's better for them than white rice. They think that eating the skin on the sweet potato is, you know, healthy. Um, unfortunately, both of those things are, um, they're, they're not digestible. They contain anti-nutrients and they contribute to leaky gut syndrome. So, um, if we're eating sweet potatoes, if we're eating rice, then, you know, actually removing the skin or going for white rice is going to be a better option. Now with the absorption or digestion rate of white rice compared to brown rice, uh, there are very few times where we're eating carbohydrates by themselves. So if you're eating rice with protein, vegetables, other fats, like you would in a traditional mixed meal, then those other things, the vegetables, the protein, the fats are going to slow down digestion um, as much, if not more than just eating brown rice by itself. So um, keep that in mind as you guys are eating rice and potatoes for your starches and your carbohydrate needs. Um, so Dr. Alexis, tell us a little bit more about um, how you are dosing and prescribing the uh, the Prebiotic Plus. Uh, I just started. I actually started um, using it when I was in when we got to Lisbon, so a couple of months ago. Um, I started experimenting with it myself because I have a um, autoimmune disease myself actually and have serious digestive problems that I've had my whole life. Um, and so my kind of journey getting into alternative medicine, it has been kind of through my own searching of figuring out how to heal some of these things and appropriately diagnose things. Cause I was not, um, diagnosed or treated for many years. It kind of went undiagnosed. And so I eventually kind of through finding alternative medicine, I was able to kind of get a handle on some of these things. And so I'm always experimenting, um, myself with a lot of these products. And so I started using it, um, because really unmodified potato starch was really the only thing out there, um, that, you know, came close to being similar to this product and that stuff's hard thing out there. That stuff is hard to get down by itself. <laughs> it, it really is. And, and the prebiotic plus is actually really good tasting. Mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm. like shocked. Yeah. Um, I just put it in water and drink it like that. I don't even have to put it in anything. So I, um, and you're I, taking that like later in the day. Yeah, I actually take it before bed. I found that's the best time for me to take it. Although, um, you know, it might not be for somebody else, but for whatever reason, that works best for me. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, so I've been using it with, you know, myself. And then I'm also um, just started recommending it to patients who have digestive issues because that's a lot, you know, a big patient base for me is people that have chronic digestive issues since that's what I know. And, um, and you know, it's, I, because it's new, I don't really have, you know, a bunch of success stories yet because we haven't been using it long enough, but I'm really excited about it because there's nothing else out there that's, that's like it. Well, when, not if, but when you have those success stories, we want to hear about them. Exactly. um, We'll share. Now, you know, with, with a lot of your patients, you know, are we talking irritable bowel syndrome, celiac, Crohn's? Yes, all of the above. Okay. Um, I personally have ulcerative colitis, and so I have okay. autoimmune disease that affects colon health. And so the the resistant starch for me is essential because of creating butyrate and some of these really healing um, things for the for the colon. So so yeah, I see people that have all of those issues and and others. So if we want to create butyrate, are you a fan of grass fed butter in your diet? 
I am. <laughs> I am a huge fan. There's just not many other sources. And really, right. if you're getting a good quality butter, you know, people really underplay fat and getting good quality fats, especially for exercise recovery and optimal performance and brain health is like essential. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, it sounds like a lot of the, the recommendations so far uh, are in line with, um, you know, whether you want to call it the bulletproof diet or paleo approach, something that is, it kind of falls under that umbrella of an anti-inflammatory lifestyle and diet. Um, mm-hmm. two of the things that we commonly think about with that are, you know, we want lots of cruciferous vegetables. We talked a little bit about the the greens and the leafy stuff earlier Um, and and also trying to avoid gluten. So those are two things that may have an impact on, you know, what we're talking about here. If somebody has any of those digestive issues, you know, cruciferous vegetables can sometimes be less than friendly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's true. And actually, the cruciferous vegetables with thyroid disorders are um, there's they've been given a really bad rap. And so we should talk about that because I think yeah. it's a really important. It's a big myth um, for people that have thyroid disorder that they shouldn't eat cruciferous vegetables because they're said to be goitrogenic, and so mm-hmm. that means that they block. Um, the thyroid hormone production in some in some fashion. So, um, it basically, what specifically what it's doing is it blocks iodine absorption. So, where this came from, this kind of myth that's just kept going, is that um, in the 50s when there was a lack of iodine and there was there was actually an iodine issue and people were getting goiters, they um, you know anything that reduced iodine absorption would have been a problem, which is like raw cruciferous vegetables, basically. But now that iodine is no longer a problem, they've iodized all our salt. We're usually getting enough iodine in our diet, um, even if we avoid processed food. We usually get plenty. Um, then you know, plenty to not create a goiter is what I mean. Maybe not plenty for optimal, but plenty to not create goiters. Um, doing cruciferous vegetables, unless you're doing massive quantities of raw vegetables that you're like juicing or something, there's no way that it's going to create any kind of issue with iodine absorption to the extent of, of causing any issue for your thyroid gland. So really that's kind of some old, um, nutrition advice that we need to just let go is that cruciferous vegetables for your thyroid are totally fine in the amounts that a normal person would eat them. Um, the only exceptions to that are uh, soy and, and canola oil because the, those are both goitrogenic as well. And the reason why I don't recommend them is, you know, about nine, over 90%, 93% or 95% or something of, of soy is GMO, is genetically modified in the U.S. And then canola oil um, is, not, I think, 90% genetically modified. So these are really processed foods, and I don't think that they promote health in any way. So there are two things that I tell people to avoid. Soy, when it's eaten in small amounts and it's traditional fermented forms, is a different story. But the processed soy that we get in the U.S., in the, for the most part, and in all processed food, is definitely not something that I recommend. Um, it's goitrogenic and it's GMO, so it, it kind of, you know, it's not a good thing. Um, also, soy has been linked to the development of autoimmune thyroiditis in some studies um, that are not conclusive, but there's enough connection there that I don't feel comfortable with it. So as far as cruciferous vegetables with digestive health, um, 
yeah, they can be a big problem for certain people that have digestive problems. And sometimes it's a matter of, of trying out different ones, cooking them at different levels, um, and just, you know, increasing them slowly into your diet. But for some people they have to avoid them for a while. That's an awesome answer. Tons of good stuff there. So, um, you mentioned traditional methods of soy, um, preparation. You're talking like natto. Exactly. Okay. Things that people don't eat in the, in the U S <laughs> right. right. <laughs> natto and other fermented, you know, tempeh and things that are traditionally prepared, um, non GMO. Mm-hmm. And, mm-hmm. um, and you don't eat, you don't replace your whole protein intake with things like that. You know, you eat them in small quantities like they do in other places that eat those. So, um, yeah, I think, you know, soy is one of those things that it's just not good for thyroid health and the, the quality that we have in the U S is just not how the rest of the world who has shown any kind of health benefit from eating traditional sources really eats it. Right. All right. What about gluten? Gluten, um, gluten is a big one that I see as a huge problem for people with all autoimmune diseases across the board. Um, that's another thing where there's, you know, some new studies coming out that are showing, you know, all these links and things. It's definitely not conclusive in the research. It's hard to study. Um, but I definitely recommend people that have Hashimoto's autoimmune thyroiditis to, to avoid gluten. There's a really big association between celiac disease and having autoimmune thyroiditis as well and other autoimmune diseases for that matter. Autoimmune disease kind of travels in groups. So you have to be careful that you're not doing things that are triggering other ones. Mm -hmm. And gluten is a big one. Um, It's also, you know, gluten and the whole autoimmune connection is also associated with diabetes and, um, you know, inflammatory bowel diseases and certain adrenal fatigue and that kind of thing. So you have to be really careful with gluten for sure. It's very inflammatory. It can lead to leaky gut in certain people. Um, and the, I think celiac disease and the non-celiac gluten sensitivity, that both of them are a problem in people that have thyroid disorders. All right. Excellent. So we're almost at the end here. Um, so before we wrap this up, where can our listeners get more of Dr. Alexis? So you can go to my website. It's dralexisshields.com. Um, I will also um, kind of prepare the, the tests and things so that we can list those out for people so that if they want a resource for testing, for getting cheaper blood work, um, or for bringing something to their doctor to ask about these tests, I, I think the, it'll be a good resource for people to have it all spelled out. So I'll give you that as well. Yeah, that would be great. And, and like we said earlier, we'll put that in the show notes. Um, go to optimalperformance.com and you'll be able to see the video version of this um, and get those resources so you can print them out and see everything that you need. Um, all right. So Perfect. Dr. Alexis, your three best tips for our listeners to perform optimally. Perform optimally related to thyroid function or just performance in general? They can be on or off topic. Okay. So the on topic, maybe, um, I think, you know, my biggest point with all of this is that, you know, you can be very symptomatic of hypothyroidism. So you can have weight gain, low to motivation, depression, 
constipation, you know, uh, cold hands and cold feet, all of these traditional things, but your doctor might tell you that your thyroid is normal. And that's very common to happen. And so you might need to take this information and take it one step further and do a little bit more thorough testing and investigating to see, is your thyroid truly optimal? Because sometimes the way that it's tested doesn't really give you the full story. So that's the biggest one. If you're suffering from these problems and you've been told it's normal, it might not be, and you're not going crazy. So you can definitely take it one step further. There's a great book out there called Why Do I Still Have Thyroid Symptoms When My Lab Tests Are All Normal? And we can I can give you the link to that, but it's yeah. really good. It goes okay. through all these different types of thyroid dysfunction that might be not picked up by a lab test and all the different lab testing. And um, it's by a guy, Dr. Dadis Karazian, who's done lots of thyroid work. And he's, he's done some pretty amazing things. And they, he also talks about lots of natural... Um, and alternative medicine things that he's seeing work. Okay, very cool. Um, and then, let's see. Two more. Two more. So, I think that um, you know my biggest thing that I want people to realize with kind of this whole biohacking community is that there's some very basic things that often get missed. A lot of times we're looking for like these new shiny tests and tools and we want to, you know, I, I love them. I do them myself. You know, I love doing all this self-testing and I think it's so important to kind of take your health into your own hands and really educate yourself on what it means to feel good and experiment with your own health. Um, it's also a really good idea to not forget some of the basics. So some of the basics are things like doing just a basic blood work panel on a regular basis for some people that don't have any chronic diseases and are really, you know, healthy people. This means once a year, sometimes if you're working on certain health things or you want to monitor, like what happens when I take these supplements to my blood, to my kidneys, to my liver, um, you might want to do it more frequently. I have people that, that test their blood every month. Um, but it's really important to, to really know what your basics are. So do run some of these basic um, CBC, a complete blood count, and looking at your liver and kidney enzymes. And they might not be shiny new tests, but they're really important to tell you about the foundation of your health. So super important to, to monitor those things once you get to a certain age, um, which, you know, for me, it kind of depends on what your health is like. But if the average healthy person should really start looking at some of these things in their late teens and early 20s so that as time goes on, they're looking at this progression. And that's my third thing is, is really having a way to monitor the progression of your health. So, you know, we think of a lot of people, you know, we have this mind frame where we don't go to the doctor until we're sick, which is kind of the opposite of how it should be. We should go to the doctor to keep us well. But because we have such a disease-driven model, um, you know, a lot of people aren't getting the information that they want when they go to the doctor. So if it's all drug-based and you don't want to go on a drug when you don't need it, then what's the reason for going? So really that's what functional medicine is all about, is trying to take change that paradigm you know, your first point of contact should be somebody who's taking in all this into account and, and looking for underlying causes and ways that you can really improve your the function of your body. Um, so having a way to really track progress is essential. So whether that means getting a blood test every year and comparing the results so that if things are starting to slightly go out of balance, you know it. Um, you can catch it early, you can change it, you can change things about your diet and lifestyle to really modify those things very easily when they're in the beginning stages. And having, you know, a coach, just like you would have a coach for, you know, um, 
like you would go to your gym and have a coach, someone who's holding you accountable, who's able to point out things you're doing wrong. It's really important to have a health coach as well, someone who can guide you in that process that's really functional medicine minded if that's what you're looking for. Very cool. Very cool. Well, thank you so much for hanging out with us, Alexis. And uh, you're welcome. All of our listeners, make sure you go to optimalperformance.com so you can see the show notes and the video version of this. We'll have the links to all the cool stuff that Dr. Alexis has told us about. And until then, we'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to Optimal Performance Podcast. Remember, you can find show notes for every episode along with video version at OptimalPerformance.com. And also remember, Optimal Performance Podcast loves your five-star ratings. So head on over to iTunes, show us some five-star love. See you next Thursday.